0: This is getting to be good business. William Hare whispered hoarsely into the night that had settled over Aiden Bra's Quiet, his companion demanded. We're almost there. You want to get caught now? Hare's friend was William Burke, a small, portly cobbler who did his business in a shop near Hare's Inn. Burke's round, pudgy face seemed to dissolve in the shadows of the night but Hare's ugly features hung in the faint gaslight like a hideous Chinese lantern. Between them, the two men carried a chest, quite large, and any observer would have known that its contents were heavy. The chest scraped along the cobblestone walk a little as Burke dropped his end, but Hare kept on walking. "'Watch what you're doing there,' Burke snarled under his breath. "'This is the place.' I thought it was the next door. Hare protested. No, the other said as he knocked softly. After a minute, the door opened, showing the light of a partially covered lantern to the two men outside. Good evening, gentlemen. A high voice came from the shadows behind the open door. I'm glad to see that you've come again. Glad we could make it, Burke said. He looked keenly into the shadowy, bespectacled face of the man who had opened the door. He was a bit taller than Burke's five feet five inches, but not nearly his equal in weight. You want it downstairs, Doc? Hare asked impatiently. Yes, of course, the man said, closing the door after the two men. Dr. John Knox followed Burke and Hare holding the lantern high so neither would stumble. Finally, the men set their burden on the floor, and without further ceremony, Hare opened the lid of the chest, stooped down, then stood up, lifting a completely nude male corpse into the lantern light. With a hoarse grunt, he dropped the cadaver roughly on the table. Easy there, Dr. Knox admonished. I'm not paying for damaged goods. ''Dead meat don't bruise, Doc,'' Burke said, a smile twisting his features. Knox said nothing for a few seconds. ''I guess you're right,'' he said after thinking it over abstractly. ''It's scientifically impossible. Perhaps you should be giving the anatomy lectures.'' The three shared a laugh as Dr. Knox bent to examine the corpse. ''He's in very excellent condition.'' he remarked without looking up. Strange that so robust a man would die. Was he sick? Overworked, Burke said, shaking his head. He just worked himself to death. Well, gentlemen, the doctor announced, I'm satisfied, and here is your fee. I'd offer you a drink, but I must be up early tomorrow to lecture. Burke and Hare stuffed the five pound notes to their pockets and preceded the lantern carrying doctor to his door. I hope you'll return soon, Knox said, bidding them good night. In the late 1820s, surgeons and doctors of the British Isles had begun to discover the value of dissection. The infant science of surgery was progressing rapidly, but the progress required cadavers that were supplied. The more the doctors realized how little they knew and thus the more cadavers they needed as a result societies of grave robbers were formed called resurrectionists they did their utmost to make sure the corpses landing on the dissecting table were as fresh as possible digging was easier in unsettled dirt outraged kin of the deceased gathered in the streets around medical colleges throwing stones through the windows. In some localities, iron cages were built over the graves to keep the corpse graving ghouls out. In Edinburgh, Burke and Hare had hit upon a gold mine. Knox dissected the bodies and moved on to the others at an incredible rate of speed. At 10 pounds of corpse, the two men could get rich quickly. Ten pounds was more than an average working man in the 1820s could earn in six months. To keep pace with their greed, Burke and Hare had added their own special wrinkle to the wholesale corpse business. The goods they peddled were always fresh because they did not always wait for a corpse to die. Returning to Hare's Inn that cold December night, the two men warmed their flesh with a few tankards of grog. Burke joined his common-law wife, Helen, whose breath always reeked of stale liquor, and Hare went to his kept mistress, Maglaire. Together, they celebrated their newfound financial independence. Even though they had been in the business less than a month, they had already bought the clothes of the newly rich. All throughout the spring and into the summer of 1828, business boomed. Even though Knox had to reduce the going rate to eight pounds during the hot months because of his need for ice, Burke and Hare figured they could get by on that. With his newfound riches, Burke's taste in men had changed also. Helen was a bit frowsy, and besides, he had his eye on Mary Patterson, a beautiful prostitute who had always been out of his financial class. Burke approached her as a prosperous businessman, then bought her a jug of gin. From there, it was only a little jingle of coin to the home of his brother, Constantine, who collected garbage for the Edinburgh police. Unannounced at his brother's house, Burke informed the bewildered man that he had some business to discuss with the ample-bosomed blonde-haired beauty. The door to the bedroom had not been closed long before the door of the house slammed open and in barged Helen Burke. Her eyes blurred with drink and her voice screeching hatred for her husband. Someone had told her of his leaving the grog shop with a beautiful streetwalker. She ran to the bedroom and jerked the door open to find a frustrated Burke and Mary Patterson, who had fainted dead away from too much drink. To further complicate matters, Hare had followed Helen Burke to Constantine's house and, to avoid trouble, had quickly doled out a few shillings to get the man and his wife out of the way. Constantine protested, wondering what would become of Mary Patterson, but Hare assured him that all would be handled very smoothly. After promising Helen that he would see that her husband committed no unfaithful act, Hare also convinced her to leave. The next day, the medical students attending Dr. Knox's lecture and dissection laboratory were a little stunned by the dead beauty who lay under the doctor's knife. More than one of them had seen her before, and a few had even paid her price. The medical students were not the only people who missed the beautiful streetwalker. She had a steady friend an Irish man named McLaughlin, who looked on himself as her protector. Though the big, burly man could not prove anything, he was sure that Mary had met with foul play, and he traced the vanishing trail right to the cobbler named Burke. Who? Burke had said when McLaughlin confronted him. Mary Patterson, the Irishman roared. And don't tell me you never heard of her. I know she went with you to your brother's house a few days ago." "'Oh, yes,' the round little man said smoothly. We could not come to an agreement. Even while McLallan went storming away, Burke was suffering from further domestic problems. While trying to fulfill a special order from Dr. Knox for a ten-year-old boy and an old lady, he and Hare had unwittingly taken an idiot as a victim. The fact would have been inconsequential to Dr. Knox, but to Helen Burke, her mind clouded with drink and superstition, it was an evil omen, a curse, in fact, and the two grim businessmen had all they could do to keep her from spilling the entire story while moaning in her grog. Even a vacation at Seaside did her no good, and Burke, Hare and Meg Lard decided to leave Edinburgh and hide out in Glasgow. In their absence, Helen Burke managed to swallow her fear, and when the trio tiptoed into Edinburgh again a few months later, she had not opened her mouth, but the game could not be played much longer. When a neighbor ran across the corpse of an old lady, which was all tucked neatly away in the chest ready for transport, The entire matter nearly exploded in their faces. Only Hare's quick action in moving the evidence saved the day, and thorough Edinburgh Police had been moving on the dealers in corpses ever since the first missing person reports had come from that sector of the city. McLoughlin had come to them, protesting the disappearance of Mary Patterson and subsequent questioning of medical students who had seen her beautiful cold body on Knox's dissection table had made the officials suspicious of Burke and Hare. The police made arrests in Hare's Inn and simultaneously raided Dr. Knox's laboratory where they found the old lady who had recently been delivered. Although neither of the Burks ever admitted to the deed, both Maglard and William Hare confessed, telling how the victims were lured to the inn, then suffocated. Even though Dr. Knox claimed that he had known nothing of the murders and was never brought to trial, the grisly publicity ruined his reputation and he faded into obscurity. Of the four ghouls only William Burke paid with his life, Helen Burke, against whom there was only circumstantial evidence, was released probably because they had so readily confessed to their roles in the crimes, Mag and William were set free. Mag died seven years later in France, but William lived to the age of 80 and died a beggar in London. Burke himself remains with us, a skeleton in the Edinburgh anatomy museum. The placard placed beside his stocky structure Is decorated with a small skull and minces no words. It reads William Burke, the murderer.